great offers and a great podcast? What a day. Thank you, sponsors. We appreciate it. This is an ICRT podcast. We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week. This week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by regular commentator, Ross Feingold. Good evening. And Paul Huang, a research fellow at the Taiwan Public Opinion Foundation. Good evening. Tonight we'll be discussing calls for the resumption of military trials in espionage cases amid concerns that sentences handed down by civilian courts are too lenient. Visits from delegations this week from Spain, Germany, Lithuania, Paraguay and Tuvalu and animal rights groups joining lawmakers in calling for rabbit rights ahead of the year of the bunny. But we'll begin with the presidential office on Monday slamming China for holding yet another military exercise in waters and airspace around Taiwan on Sunday. China's East Theatre Command described the drill as being comprised of joint combat patrols of various types and branches of the armed forces, focusing on land strikes and sea assaults. The Ministry of National Defence said 57 Chinese aircraft and four warships were detected operating in the general vicinity of Taiwan during the exercise. It was though the second round of military exercises conducted by the Eastern Theatre Command near Taiwan in the past two weeks. Now the pundits here and elsewhere have been busy trying to explain who the exercise was aimed at and according to most of the pundits the United States appears to have topped that list after it recently passed defence bills with Taiwan provisions now coming siding with last weekend's Chinese exercise came a report by the Centre for Strategic and International Studies from Washington DC which released the results of a series of war game simulations that is simulations showed that the militaries of Taiwan, the US, Japan and China would be devastated and Beijing would have no major victory if it invaded Taiwan in 2026 while Taiwan itself would be left without power and basic services so two things there Ross we've got military, more military exercises and the simulation report from the Centre for Strategic and International Studies. Yeah, it's anyone's guess who who the exercises are are aimed at. The important thing is that they are exercising, or the important thing for policymakers here in Taiwan, and, and frankly, the public as well, as, as well as Taiwan's main security partners, the United States, and, and to a lesser extent, Japan, uh, is that China is continuing to exercise. Uh, you know, I, I like to point out uh, when these exercises occur, something which I think doesn't get enough attention, and, and that's no matter what's going on in China, and more recently, it's the end of zero COVID, and, you, know, you, you read certain media, and uh, you know we're told people are dropping dead in the streets and the hospitals, and the crematoria are overwhelmed, and government officials are cowering at home because they, they're afraid of catching COVID. Uh, but uh, throughout the last three years of, of the pandemic, no matter what's going on in China, as well as any kind of domestic or economic step, they're still able to do this, whether it's on the Indian border or in the Taiwan Strait or South China Sea. And I think if we want to look at this in a more, more sober way, you know, we have to keep keep this in mind that no matter what else is going on in China, they continue to prepare uh, for a possible military action against Taiwan. So uh, that, that's what the goal is. So whether it's directed at, at the United States this week versus being directed at the Taiwan government, it's, it's worth 
discussing, um, but you know, ultimately we have to keep in mind what the the end game uh, for for China is, and that's to prepare for an invasion or some other military action should they decide to do that, and they've threatened to do that. So we have to take that seriously. There were a lot of foreign visitors uh, coming to Taiwan, so maybe it was meant to intimidate uh, some of these foreign parliamentarians that or government officials that were visiting Taiwan. You know, so kind of like a Pelosi threat, light, somewhat lighter version. You know, if you if you visit Taiwan, we might intercept your plane. Of course, China didn't do that with with Pelosi. Pelosi. Uh, as far as the CSIS report, uh, obviously got a lot of attention here because of, uh, as you said, this kind of d- destruction aspect that even if China doesn't succeed in an invasion, th- there won't be much left here. Uh, very, very scary, but uh, we have to keep keep in mind that the, if there is a war, yeah, it's very likely that the damage here in Taiwan would be significant. The war is not necessarily going to be fought entirely uh, by ships at sea. Uh, China might attack targets here on Taiwan. That's just, unfortunately, the nature of war goes without saying. However, I encourage the listeners to read the report, and uh, I, I, I'm going to guess that Paul would concur. The report was flawed in so many ways, and we could we could fill up hours uh, of your show, Gavin, talking about it. But there were uh, mistaken assumptions, uh, a lack of knowledge about a number of aspects of Taiwan's military and society generally, and some inexcusable factual errors. I'll, I'll just pick out one. This was identifying Penghu as Penghu Province. That's not very good, is it, Paul, for a supposedly... An, uh a collective of experts. Well, I will pick my words carefully because the CSIS report, the main three main authors, uh, I happen to know all of them very well. And in fact, one of them was, was my graduate school classmates, uh, uh, Matthew Kensian, that uh, in fact, I spoke at uh, CSIS and MIT last year um, which was uh, sponsored by two of these uh, main authors. So they, the, these are all very established and very, I would say, very they, they kind of people who know what they're talking about uh, in military security affairs. Uh, this report, I think, I'd have a lot to say about the methodology and the way that, that they conduct the simulations, and which, again, which... By the way, I gave them my view last year when they asked for my input. So I had a small input in the making of this report, not that much, but basically their exercise, their their simulation was conducted on a tabletop um, game, which I believe that they designed it by themselves using a tabletop um, format which I said to them that if you want an exercise involving modern air and naval assets, you, you, you should pursue something that is more realistic uh, in terms of how it simulates sensors like radar and sonar, electronic warfares, and also other things that the table game cannot, cannot tell you, such as how the, mis- the, 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 the probability of missiles hitting certain hitting their intended targets and how they interact with defensive measures. And those things you can't properly simulate with a table game. Uh, but again, this I, I read through the report 
few days ago, and I believe their policy recommendations and their conclu- the concluding part of the report sounds、um, pretty reasonable. M- many of their recommendations and their the, what they dig out from their their game,、um, but I will be very careful not to draw. Conclusion from the technical part of this simulation, such as how many aircraft, how many ships、uh, would get destroyed in in this and that scenario, just because these kind of table game doesn't provide the accuracy that 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 we wanted. But one thing that I think stood out was how the report focused on making the various、uh, different scenario based on assumptions about. How the U.S. or even Japan would react, such as one some scenario where the United States gets involved on day one, on well, not just day one, but the first, the very first hour, or even before that,、uh, and in those scenario that the U.S. Taiwan Japan coalition, if you call it,、uh, which by the way I don't believe there will be such a coalition,、uh, in、uh, but in their in their simulation. If the invo- if the U.S. involvement was、uh, were to be simultaneous, were to be、um, quick and decisive, then that, that increases the chance of the U.S. Taiwan success or victory, and decreases the likelihood of uh, Chinese uh, achieving their objectives. But、uh, if if the U.S. involvement is delayed by hours, days, or even weeks, that great greatly diminish Taiwan's chance of Survival, so to speak, and I think this is a very realistic、um, conclusion to make.、Uh, you don't you don't have to run a table game or any any war game to understand this. Just because if you, you, you in a modern warfare, if you move if you're moving late while the enemies already have and position themselves at, posi- at, at places that that they can take take you out more easily, they can they can discover you, they can find you, they can shoot at you.、Um, So th- this is my quick take on the CSS report. I think that I mean I have a lot to say, but for the audience,、uh, I would just say take their re- read the conclu- read their recommendation, read their conclusion. They make they make quite a lot of sense, but just be careful that the way that that they write at this at this conclusion, this table using this war game, which by itself is.、Um, It's not an accurate or realistic way of how the war should be simulated. Do you think if they used a computerized war game system, they had more scenarios, more diagnostics? It could have been different. Oh yes, that's 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 my that's what I recommended then to use、uh, more computer-based simulations, so that we can actually、uh, look at the sensors. We can actually look at electronic warfare. We can look at things like satellite, like like、uh, those things that 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 really matter in most. I would say in 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 a potential war today between China and Taiwan, because that's where the Chinese strengths really shine.、Um, that, that that's at least that's my understanding. Things like satellite, like how do you how do you simulate satellite on a table game? You can't. But on a computer, there are actually many ways to do it on, on using using software. But of course, Ross, tabletops are cheaper than programming. Getting a bunch of programmers in to create a program specifically for such a scenario. Well, that's a great question because I think it it 
marries up, it brings together the different points that, that we've been discussing um, over the past few minutes. So you have the, these very technical aspects and, and uh, you know, as, as Paul was discussing, and, and trying to keep up to date with China's constant advances and in, in, uh, improving technology, uh, different weapon systems, uh, putting up more satellites, and whatever China does on a regular basis to improve their capabilities, and, and then trying to uh, you know, harmonize that in, in, in this simulation with uh, how, how humans might, might interact as well. Uh, you know, and I mentioned uh, some of the shortcomings that I thought uh, are in the report, uh, uh, less on the technical side, but uh, how uh, humans might react here in Taiwan. And uh, I often find that these kinds of reports are, are faulty in that regard. So in a way, I have a bit of a different perspective than, than Paul, because Paul is uh, emphasizing you know, the importance of uh, certain aspects that, that um, maybe might require some more human input uh, or less human input, uh, but uh, again, uh, the, the, yeah, the technical aspect is 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 crucial. So is the human aspect, and uh, I, I don't think they they nailed it to to be frank. And ultimately, this won't be the only such exercise. Uh, th there was one last year that didn't get as much media attention here on, um, it was hosted by NBC News. Uh, they had a bunch of experts, uh, but it was a tabletop exercise. And uh, it, it, I believe, if I recall correctly, it had the same flaws that Paul has identified with the CSIS simulation as well, because it was just a bunch of people sitting in a room around a table with a, with a, the whole thing was filmed with the camera and with the TV host who didn't really know anything about China, Taiwan. Um, and I, I guess uh, to the extent that these think tanks have a funding source, whether that's the Taiwan government or American weapons manufacturers. We could look forward to more of these simulations, and hopefully uh, Paul and I will be asked back to comment on those as well. <laughs> so if I can say one thing that, 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 that um, about this, the, 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 I, what I see is the most critical shortcoming of, this, of all their simulations uh, in the CSIS report, that... This has been pointed out by other defense uh, commentators, that analysts as well. They assume, just like Taiwan's military, Taiwan's Ministry of National Defense does always, that China, the POA, has to embark on amphibious operations, attempting amphibious operations against uh, landing troops on Taiwan, all the while the air and naval battles are waging on. So that means they will start this amphibious part of the operations pretty much from day one, even while the shots are still flying. Uh, this is, in my view, very unrealistic, that there's no reason for the PLA, for the Chinese, to rush their phase of the operation, if there is even their phase. Uh, my projection is they, w they won't attempt any of such until the air and naval battles have already been decided. They have decimated Taiwan's air and naval forces and missile forces, and including maybe uh, having some sort of alpha strike, preemptive strike on U.S. assets in the region. So they have taken out everything they could, or most things they could have, in, they could have prevent, could have defending against the amphibious operation. Only after that, 
they would they would they would start uh, moving their troops landing uh, to toward Taiwan. Now that the CSI's report, if you look at their scenario, many of these scenarios say, regardless of this this and that outcome, the Chinese suffer massive losses in the ship in their in their amphibious landing ships in their the, the troops on it, so they suffer this X and Y number of casualty. None of this will happen if they don't rush the amphibious operation. And why? Why would they need to? I think that's that's that that's the million dollar question. Now, to be fair, Taiwan's Ministry of National Defense, in their exercises, in their war gaming, in their everything, they assume the same thing: the peer, the Chinese, must rush for Taiwan's beach, while everything else is going on. Now, I call this in in Taiwan. I call this the POA. Composive disorder that they must do things that that they put their troops and their soldiers in jeopardy, even so we don't see any realistic military uh, reason why they they would they would they would they would do so. Now again, people do stupid things. Generals and politicians uh, make stupid decisions, as we have seen in Ukraine war in 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 Putin's certain decisions. So we can't rule this out completely that that would do things. For absolutely no reason, putting uh, uh, just just to uh, give an enemy something to hit, something to destroy. But I I think we we should be more uh, we should be more realistic, more cautious that in assuming the enemy will be stupid. Moving on now, and Taiwan People's Party Caucus Governor Chou Chen Yuan this week called for the resumption of military trials in order to better handle espionage cases. Now, according to Cho, numerous recent major espionage cases, so that the Ministry of National Defence must take concrete steps to ensure that such cases are tried at courts martial and not in civilian courts, due to the light sentences they persistently hand down. Now, the call came less than a week after the Gaoshung branch of the High Prosecutor's Office detained a retired Air Force captain and three active Air Force and Naval officers on suspicion of spying for China. That case has already also dragged in the questioning of a former lawmaker. Now, the Military Trial Act currently only applies to active military personnel who commit crimes under the Criminal Code of the Armed Forces during wartime. And so military personnel are tried in regular courts in peacetime. And on Thursday of this week, Justice Minister Tsai Ching Sheng said judicial authorities need to recognise the potential harm of national security cases and they should not be treated as ordinary criminal cases. So, Ross, you're a lawyer, obviously not a military lawyer, but, I mean, do you think the government should reinstate courts martial for espionage cases? Yeah, sure, whatever. I, I mean, the, the, the reason why I say that is uh, it was moved out of the military uh, system, right? It was it was frozen in peacetime and handed over to the civilian courts. Uh, I'm referring to uh, uh, discipline, criminal, criminal charges against currently serving military personnel was moved out because of shortcomings in the military justice system. And now we're discovering that when it comes to prosecuting or sentencing military officers or enlisted personnel for criminal violation, or whatever the nature of that is, espionage or other, uh, drunk driving, sexual harassment, theft, drugs, uh, the civilian courts are not doing their job with prosecuting or sentencing military personnel. So, okay, whatever, you want to move it back, 
go for it. But please design a, a good system, improve the training of the military prosecutors and, and the military judges, and ensure that uh, sufficient uh, discipline is is handed out by the military courts. If it, if it gets handed back to the military courts and military judges are, or, or first military prosecutors are, are not bringing the cases that they should be bringing, and then the judges upon conviction are not handing out the sentences that really uh, should be handed out, especially in an espionage case, then we won't really achieve much. So, okay, move it back, uh, but uh, I, at, at least at this moment, I don't have confidence that this would uh, really remedy the problem that's been identified, which is not pursuing or or uh, prosecuting cases of, of uh, criminal activity, whatever the nature of that is within within the military, and then handing out sufficiently tough sentences to have a deterrent effect on other uh, potential uh, criminals within the military uh, services. Uh, I, I'm sad to say that, but again, it's, it's just hard to have confidence that if, if they, they move it back, that uh, two, three years from now, we'll be saying, wow, great, you know, the military justice system, they've really improved the quality of their work. And Paul, do you think they would move it back? I don't think it's too reminiscent of the, the days of yore when basically the military ran Taiwan. Well, I think I look at this from another another perspective, that in terms of espionage, um, if you know how intelligence, uh, if you're familiar with how intelligence works are, are being done and how... Um, Generally, countries and militaries and intelligence services deal with things like this. If you find some spies within your organization, say the military, or especially very highly placed places, your best move will actually be to not do anything on on the surface, because you know that someone is 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 a spy. So obviously, you can just arrest him. Or her, but in a jail and interrogate them. And but think about this: you, 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 the best bet will actually be to put them at places that you can observe, because you know they are leaking. They, they are they are speaking to your enemy, and you can actually find out more what they are after, and you can then feed bad information intelligence. To then to mislead your enemy. That's usually what how how things are done by professionals. That if especially at a very high place, uh, only if you only if you think there is no value whatsoever left, that you you put in you put in, you put in a prison cell, right? Um, so I think that should have been the approach, the standard procedures for most uh, for for a lot of the so-called spies that 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 they find now. Right, and because that think about it, that brings you more value in intelligence that actually strengthens your position on, on, over the long time. Well, because you now have people that uh, they can tell you what the enemy saw after, right? But I think that if you are actually going to try uh, arrest and trial these um, people you suspect of working with the with your enemy, the 
the question then becomes: What do you see to gain from this? Like, like, like setting a setting an example or leave some room for like that they, they they might they might turn and then be your assets. Uh, if you are going to set an example, I think that the the civil core military core, I think that's that's really secondary. Um, that that question itself, because because they just the arrest, just the, uh, the announcing the charges that itself, I think will 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 be suffice to 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 set to 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 give a message out there, right? So I think the 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 this idea that the only military trial can deter against things like uh, against espionage, against like having a deterrent affair against uh effect on people not 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 to betray the country i i i think that's too too naive i, I was expecting paul to say that another way to handle it would be uh, these people uh you feed them some bad information for a while and then they they just happen to meet an unfortunate uh bus while crossing the street and <laughs> we, we uh dispose of them in a more efficient way but taiwan being a democracy and having rule of law we can't let that happen so uh, well, maybe, uh, uh, maybe. <laughs> okay the paul and ross method yeah. uh but 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 again I, I i'd like to emphasize that we're not just talking about espionage and maybe that's the most important part of the conversation unfortunately there's a long list of military discipline or criminal issues or, or criminality committed by people in the military that result in prosecution whether that's corruption or as i said drunk driving sexual harassment and the now the way the system is structured is if you are in the military but you are accused of this crime, you're in the civilian courts. And this is a bit different from a, a lot of other countries, uh, especially if it's uh, uh, the infraction or the alleged infraction occurs um, on post or in the course of uh, the, the duty. There was a case that was in the news last year about a, a general who was prosecuted uh, for the you know, inappropriate use of, of uh, public monies. You know, he treated uh, some families of, of his team to, to a dinner and the amount was, was very small. It was like 4,000 Taiwan dollars. And he ordered his, his, his staff to account for it in a way that actually violated the rules. But he didn't pocket the 4,000 Taiwan dollars. It was actually used to uh, invite family members to a, a dinner with, with the officers on, on his team. And President Tsai eventually pardoned him, um, which I think I think was the right thing to do, even if he gave an inappropriate instruction to, to his team. Uh, but you know, th this was in the courts for a few years, the civilian courts. I mean, it was just very silly. Uh, that, that one probably shouldn't even be been prosecuted. But uh, again, this is the kind of military crime, for lack of a better description, that, that is being pushed in the civilian courts. So if, if we're going to change it back, uh, speaking as a lawyer and looking at institutional issues and consistency, I, I hope... We don't create a system where we say, well, these kinds of crimes by military personnel will be court-martialed. So we'll say, okay, espionage, because that's the most serious one. But here's a whole long list, a long list of crimes by military personnel that will still be tried in the civilian courts. And then we'll, we'll just get a, you know, some kind of bifurcated system. I, I, I don't think that's, that's good. So in an environment where we have this threat from China every day, and we want the military 
you know, we support the military. We want it to do better. We want it to be better prepared to defend Taiwan. We want uh, people to have a better view of the military as an institution. We want it to get the funding that it needs. We want the soldiers to be paid what they deserve to be paid, et cetera, et cetera. But there does need to be proper discipline. And uh, if we're going to improve the system, then, then uh, let's just do it correctly. Uh, but I fear, again, that that we won't get a good result from what, what Legislator Chu is suggesting. We might get some kind of uh, mixture of a, a new system. And that we will have to take a short break now here on Taiwan This Week, but we will return after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week. And senior government officials had rather a busy week this week. And some, like Ross, have been wondering how they made time to govern. And they was rather busy meeting with and greeting members of visiting foreign delegations. Now, the Speaker of Paraguay's lower house headed one such delegation. The Speaker of Parliament of Tuvalu also flew into town this week. A delegation from the Lithuanian Parliament's Committee on National Security and Defence arrived in Taiwan for a six-day visit. The government welcomed the first visit by a German parliamentary delegation of 2023, which was comprised of members of the Free Democratic Party and led by the chair of the Bundestag's Defence Committee. And if all those delegations weren't enough, then a delegation from Spain's Congress of Deputies also popped into Taiwan for a visit, making it the first group from the lower house of Spain's legislative branch to have visited Taiwan in over three years. So these these government were busy this week. Meetings, 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 Ross. I think, uh, and I know some in the audience are probably not going to like me to say this, but I, I think this was, uh, most of these are planned in advance, and in some cases many months in advance. And I, I think this was planned as part of a victory tour for a successful local election. So if we go back to uh, the months preceding the local elections at the end of November last year, so starting from September through October, November, there already were a lot of delegations coming to Taiwan. Um, And again, those were probably, almost all of them were planned before uh, the end of the quarantine for inbound travelers in October. Although some of these uh, VIPs, they they got the waiver anyway. They were in the diplomatic bubble. Uh, But there were a number of forums in Taiwan in October and November that there were international scholars visiting, members of parliament, there were parliamentarians from Ukraine, for example, were here. There were several delegations of Japanese parliamentarians that were here. Uh, I, I think there was. I think preceding the election, uh, the government wanted to, although it was a local election, they wanted to say we're doing a great job on on foreign affairs. We've raised Taiwan's profile. Uh, one more reason to vote for us. And clearly, that that did not work. The voters were were really didn't. Uh, add that into their decision-making process in, in most most uh, jurisdictions around Taiwan. Uh, but but I think this was also planned as part of kind of the, the post-election victory. We're doing well. The public loves us, not just here in Taiwan, but the public or parliamentarians and government officials from around the world love us as well. Uh, so I thought, I, I think this was part of one extended victory uh, victory lap as we call it in English, uh, victory tour. Uh, but I don't think the public really cares. They didn't care before the election. They didn't care now. And now we're moving into the presidential and legislative election since it's uh, uh, probably like exactly one year from today, right? It'll be probably the second or the third weekend in January 2024. And 
once again, uh, the government and the Democratic Progressive Party will make part of their sales pitch, as they did four years ago when they emphasized how great we're doing with U.S.-Taiwan relations, with some basis. I'm not denying that. Um, But they will make part of their sales pitch to the voters that we have raised Taiwan's international profile. We've uh, increased Taiwan's friendships. These parliamentarians and government officials, they love us. They keep coming here. Uh, That's why you should vote for us again. Whether that'll work with the voters remains to be seen. Well, I think these foreign these visits by foreign parliamentarians are just noises. That's that's all my my view always. Um, they're not even gestures to 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 be to speak of. Just because these parliamentarians they most like mostly does not re- represent the positions of their their governments, uh, if at all. Um, and in I think. The, in in the case of this with this week's visit, some German parliamentarian, they actually made into the news that they were saying things like Taiwan should buy more stuff from Germany because they they are safer, uh, comparing supposedly comparing to the Chinese components or products, and so so, so you so th- this is where they are coming from. That that is always about. German about the Germany from their interests, right? So it's not that they are actually putting themselves in the harm's way for Taiwan. No, then they would. Why would they? Why would you assume that they would do that? No, uh, it's, it's it's about selling stuff. It's about com- commerce and interests, which they should be. That's that's what politicians everywhere do. When they go to other countries, they don't. Uh, they don't just put on another head and say, "Well, I'm I'm representing you," right? That's not what they do because they have constituents at home and they have voters at home. They they are still Germans. They, they have are donors still, at home. Then corporate still, donors. <laughs> right. So again, I think these uh, these are just noises, and the Taiwanese voters uh, at large, I think they are kind of. Um, very used to these uh, the appearance of these foreigners these days, so they're not really that uh, impressed by such visits. Uh, and then those, I won't even say that they have an effect on electoral effect these days, unless they're at a very high level, let's say House Speaker something. But that happened before uh, last year. And we what we saw it probably had an effect, but not, not even that large to alter the the result of last year's election, local elections, uh, significantly. So, and considering the diminishing effect, uh, even if the House Speaker uh, uh, were to visit again, I would I don't think that they would uh, have have as much effect as Pelosi. But it seems, and I could be wrong, but it seems that the government is locked into this, right? Like, we, we just love having the foreign parliamentarians come here. Tuvalu, welcome. Okay, Tuvalu has diplomatic relations in Paraguay, so you're kind of you're stuck, I guess, inviting them periodically. But, uh, oh, Germany? Great. Italy is supposed to be coming. Spain just came. Germany just, you know, it's just like... You're all welcome, members of Congress, the U.S. Congress. Uh, so it seems like they're locked into this. Uh, uh, 
I think it's safe to assume we're going to see a lot more of this in the coming months. So notwithstanding the the learned opinions of uh, Paul and myself, I, I think the, the presidential office and, and the Ministry of Foreign Affairs are, are really locked into um, getting as many of these delegations coming to Taiwan. And uh, from a political party perspective, again, it, it seems like the, the the DPP is also locked into to this. Uh, so from, from a election campaign perspective, they think this is this is good. And we shouldn't leave out the Gomindang because uh, uh, Chairman Zhu also seems to enjoy having his photo taken with some of these visiting delegations uh, as well. Um, and, and then putting it on Twitter, uh, always in the same room. With the famous painting. <laughs> with the famous painting. And, you know, the, I mean, it's so hilarious, right? Because you're, you're telling, uh, you know, German parliamentarians or Lithuanian parliamentarians, you know, here's some photo of, or a painting of, you know, Sun Yat-sen or, or Chiang Kai-shek from 75 years ago in, in the mainland. I mean, like, what does that mean in 2023 to some visiting parliamentarians from anywhere around the world? Uh, but they seem locked into it as well, because and the reason why I bring this up, you know, Paul and I could be questioning the the value of this uh, substantively for Taiwan's security or economy, uh, as well as politically that the voters aren't impressed. But we don't see the Gomindang saying like, "Oh, this is just all an electoral ploy." No, in fact, we see the Gomindang loves this as well. And should they win the election, they'll probably do the same thing. <laughs> Right. So uh, a year and a half from now, two years from now, Senator Graham comes back and says to a Gomindang president, I hope you buy Boeings. Chances are that Gomindang president, whoever it is, will say yes. And, and, and China Airlines will make an order. <laughs> and before we go this week, because enough of the serious stuff. Well, this is sort of serious, I guess. Animal rights groups and lawmakers from across party lines on Monday called for the well-being of rabbits and urged people not to turn the upcoming year of the rabbit into a disastrous year for bunnies. Now, according to the Taiwan Rabbit Saving Association, yes, that does exist, rabbits and hares, lest we forget, are getting a lot of media attention ahead of the new year and there's concern that that attention could whet people's appetites for keeping them as pets. Now, the association is warning against that, saying it ain't a good idea for the animals and people should not buy them as pets and they should also boycott performances and magic shows involving live rabbits or hares for that matter so paul i mean do you plan to buy a rabbit in the new year no but i believe my cousin has uh, my little cousin she has a uh, she has a rabbit so it's pretty cute does pretty he have a name does he have a name i, I forgot a name i forgot i saw i saw i saw it last year but i don't I only remember like a little, little cute little thing. So, but I, I, yeah, I. Other than that, I don't see anyone else having rabbits as, as pets. And only my cousin. And your cousin, maybe, maybe your maybe your friend group is very small. Maybe you're just not <laughs> hanging around with the right people there, Paul. Most of my friends are into cats or dogs. Oh right, so. okay, uh, cats and dogs. So Ross, I mean, obviously this does have a, a serious point because obviously there has been a bit of controversy over performances that use animals here in Taiwan. Yeah, uh, yeah. animal rights is a is a popular issue for politicians. You're not going to get criticized for saying save the animals. Uh, Guomindang Chairman Julie Lun Eric Zhu has even proposed adding to the constitution constitu- constitutional protection. Uh, for animals, uh, I think that's a bit odd, but there are a number of countries around the world that actually have put 
animal rights or animal protection into the Constitution rather than just uh, having a, this issue covered by legislation. Uh, so it is a popular issue. Oh, Gavin, you you started this segment by by using the phrase "wet their appetites." I really thought you were going to re- refer to the risk that uh, these rabbits or hares become uh, rabbit soup uh, after people are done playing with their their uh, year of the rabbit uh, live <laughs> uh, rabbits. So let's hope that doesn't happen as well. Um, other than that, I, I guess the only thing left to say is uh, yibbity yibbity yibbity. That's all, folks. Yeah, but Paul, it's not, it's not actually all over yet, Paul, because, of course, animal experiment, experimentation is the word I was looking for, and animal research also use rabbits. Yes, I do know a friend in, in, the univer, in a university who's doing this, who's doing a degree um, that involves using rats as animal experiments. Uh, I, I actually asked her, well, how many... How many rats do you do you experiment on? The, the she, she 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 refused to answer. So I guess that's. Uh, but rabbits, that that's new to me. I didn't know that. Uh, that's even a thing. Well, she uh, better, especially this year. She better, uh, you know, not tell people she's using rabbits because uh, you know people are going to be pretty pretty upset, right? She'll have to. Oh yeah. She'll have to tell people she's experimenting on <laughs> some <laughs> some other animal, but. Uh, uh, one thing we know is going to happen is in the next few weeks, uh, as New Year approaches, we're going to be bombarded with, um, you know, if you use Line or other messenger services, people are going to be sending you cute little photos of, of rabbits and uh-huh. stores are going to have signage with with rabbits. So uh, we could definitely be expected to, to suffer from, um, you know, r- rabbit bombing <laughs> in the next few weeks. In fact, Ross, you're not going to buy a bunny rabbit for the next New Year, no? Um, no, and uh, that, that is, I mean that does take us back to the to the serious point, which is uh, o- owning a pet is is a serious commitment, and it it's really inhumane to buy a rabbit just because it's year of the rabbit and and not make that commitment to keep it as as a pet and love it and provide it the proper care. So hopefully people won't do that, but inevitably. There will be, and there will be stories in the news about unwanted rabbits, you know, come come March or, or April. And, of course, if you do buy a rabbit for the new year, do not name it Myxomatosis, because, of course, that scares the bejesus out of Genus Lapis. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps, and I've been joined in the studio today by Ross Feingold. Have a great weekend. And Paul Huang. Have a good weekend, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this week's show. And there won't be any shows for the upcoming next two Fridays, those being January the 20th and 27th, as it will be a slightly longer than usual Lunar New Year holiday here in Taiwan this year. And both me and my guests will be putting up our feet and having a nice long repose. But don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app in the meantime, where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.